What's an M. Night? M. Night Shyamalan, the Indian filmmaker from Philly. Oh my God, this dude's a big deal. He always you know puts some I mean? like awesome twist at the end of his movies to trick the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like like in The Sixth Sense, you find out that the dude um, in that hairpiece the whole time, that's Bruce Willis the whole movie. That's not the twist. That's not the twist of that movie. That wasn't the twist. No. podcast where we review and discuss the career of M. Night Shyamalan. Oh boy! I'm AJ Gonzalez, a video store clerk and movie blogger, and with me is my co-host as always. I'm Brian Connolly. I'm also a man who works at a video store. Yep. In the 21st century. We're very lucky. Couple of clerks. Couple of clerks. Living the dream. Yeah, they should make a movie about a video store and call it The Clerks. Uh, so yeah, so this week, uh, what's crazy is like someone asked like, so where are you at? And I'm like, oh, we're at Signs. And they're like, you're already at Signs? And so I guess we've been doing this for a while now. It just uh, yeah, I think like this it. is our sixth episode. So let's see, we I did pray, pray With Anger, Wide uh, Awake, Awake Sixth uh, Sense. Six Sense, Stuart Little, Unbreakable Six. That means we've been doing this for half a year. Six months? Wow. How is that even possible? I guess we started in, what, November? November, yeah. December, January, February, March, April. Yeah, there you go. Life is short. Appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> it goes by fast. Uh, yeah, so signs. This is what we're doing. We're on signs. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to do this. Uh, so Me too. First, of course, as always, uh, we're going to talk about our scotch of the month, which is a, a great thing. We keep hoping that some scotch company will hear this and send us a free case, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, so if one of the three people out there who's listening to this podcast has any connections to scotch companies, pass this along, and that way we can get free, you know, free scotch. Because as of right now, we have to pay for it, and that's no fun. The pay for our sponsor, our, our self-imposed sponsor. It's, uh, it's always more fun to get free stuff. <laughs> Which is why we work at a video store. I'm not going to pay for a movie. Are you insane? All right, so the scotch. So it's interesting. So the fr- I believe the first scotch we had was a Cuddy Sark. Yes. Am I right? Yes, it was the so, uh, just the regular Cuddy Sark. Regular. So now we're doing. Uh, I was at Costco and I was like, I think it's time to upgrade from a ten dollars scotch to perhaps a twenty dollars scotch. Hey. And so, and because it's at Costco, I'm guessing it's probably actually a twenty seven dollars scotch. But they, I got a mad deal of saving that seven dollars. <laughs> So this is the Cuddy, Star- Cuddy Sark Prohibition Edition blended Scotch whiskey. As always, it has a picture of the great, glorious, majestic you know ship with all the sails going through the sea. But let me read you uh, what we got here. So this is handcrafted from grain and malt whiskeys matured in American oak and bottled at 100 proof, distilled, blended, and bottled in Scotland, 50% alcohol. But here, there's a little story on the back. Cuddy Sark Prohibition Edition has been carefully blended in the traditional way from mature malt and grain scotch whiskeys and then bottled at 100 proof. I read that already. They had the same thing on the back. That's on the front. <laughs> uh, full flavored and challenging. So see, they have this on here so that way if you in front of your friends and you want to pretend you know about scotch, you just don't show them the bottle and be like, ooh, this is really full flavored and challenging and they'll think you're really smart. But wait, there's more that you can say to sound smart at a party. Massive notes of cracked black pepper. Is that true? Hold on. 
I don't. I don't really. Um, I don't really get that. I don't really know. I don't know. Do I get mean, that? it's kind of there's a spice to it, but mm. that might just be because it's alcohol and it burns. You know. <laughs> uh, and toffee. Do you get toffee? Uh, I get something chocolatey, but I just ate a Kit Kat, so that <laughs> might be that. <laughs> and hints of vanilla. See, I can't. I can't get the toffee. I don't. I definitely don't see the cracked black pepper. Mm. I, I wait. I, no wait. I totally got cracked black yeah? pepper there. Yeah. I feel like I oh, taste man. the vanilla. Hmm. If only because I really want this to be vanilla. Well, either way, these flavors allow you to drink this full-strength whiskey straight, as the free-spirited would have done in the 1920s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because it's Prohibition Edition. I get it. Uh, or add a shot of water to tame its rich, rugged, and authentic flow, full flavor. We are not doing that. We are drinking it straight. We are real men with a podcast about M. Night Shyamalan, who work at a video store. Uh, either way, it has a super smooth finish, Thanks to being non-chill filtered, and I don't know what that means. What does that mean? What does non-chill filtered mean? Uh, Filmed at like room temperature? I guess so. Okay. And aged in hand-selected American oak casks. Pretty good. American. Yeah, and then... Uh, New York <clears throat> City. Oh, wait, but then there's... This is like a novel back here. Cuddy Sark Prohibition Edition has been crafted as a salute to the notorious Captain William S. McCoy, who smuggled Cuddy Sark blended scotch whiskey into America during the Prohibition era of the 20s. A true hero, this man. His, and this part is underlined. His impeccable reputation. That part's underlined. For only dealing in the finest, genuine, and unadulterated liqueur. Liquor. Dash. Gave rise to Cuddy Sark being referred to as the real McCoy. So there, that's where that term came from. The real McCoy is because of Captain McCoy bringing smuggled Cuddy Sark. So you drink hey. it, and you know it's not just some dude's bathtub scotch. You're just like, no, wait. This is the real McCoy. So there you go. we learned something today. Man, that was so long to read. I've never had a food label be that, that long before. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. I like I, it. I think it's the best one we've had. I totally agree. This is definitely the best it's, scotch we've had on this show yet. It's really smooth. Yeah. No, like, it, I, I think, I, I'm afraid I might finish this bottle tonight, which is not it, good because uh, I have to wake up early to go to work, but... I, it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous whiskey. It goes down smooth. It does yeah. have uh, all of those flavors. It feels like there's a good mm. substance to this thing. It's there's, not there's, just, uh, yeah. you know, uh, it's not just burning water. <laughs> Though, you know, I'll drink the burning water, too. I like, will, I'll too. drink it all. So if you, any of you are the burning water whiskey scotch yes. people... Scotch whiskey people, send us a case of your three dollar <laughs> convenience store scotch whiskey. We'll. Uh, what is like the cheapest scotch whiskey you could get? Like, what's like the like, drugstore, like convenience store one that we haven't gotten yet? Like, what's like the one dollar? Like, what's the Thunderbird of scotch whiskeys? <laughs> like, does that exist? The uh, the the Keystone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Scotch whiskey. What, like, what is that? I don't know. The one I bought last time, the green plaid. Whatever that I still have not finished. Uh, oh god! Was that in a plastic bottle? That wasn't a plastic yeah. bottle. That okay. was the cheapest scotch I've ever bought. It was like twelve dollars. See that? That's still pretty high, though. I feel like there's. It was be at cheaper. The, it was like that. on the very bottom shelf at the liquor huh. store. Huh. You know, I think next time let's go to Seven Eleven. 
And whatever scotch they have on the bottom row at a 7-Eleven. Or just Dollar General's <laughs> sell scotch whiskey. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyways. Uh, okay. Enough about the scotch. This is a show about M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan made signs. And we're going to review it. It's going to be great. So, uh, the DVD... There are no trailers on this DVD. No, there's which is weird because it like because you're I'm used to at least DVD like DVDs used to like force you have to watch a trailer or two. I think they still do. I feel like that didn't uh, happen. This though. one is goes right into the movie script, like the main the main menu script. Yeah. I was shocked. I was like, expecting there to be something. I feel like it was maybe just after the early two thousands signs from two thousand two because my uh, the DVD I have of Love Actually. Which I think is 2003 or 2004, that seems but right. probably 2003. You have to watch the special. I mean, you have to watch the trailers. You can't skip it. You can't skip it. You can right. fast forward through them. <laughs> the same thing for my Lost in Translation DVD. Mm. So both of those are Universal properties. So maybe it's just a Universal thing. So you bought a lot of DVDs in 2004, or 2003 oh, yeah. to have uh, Lost in Translation. Oh, I was and, in college. Uh, Love actually. No, no utilities to pay. Just every week, I would go to Tower Records on 68th <laughs> and Broadway and buy DVDs. It was amazing. I used to go to Suncoast Video every paycheck and buy at least one thing. And that was back before I knew how to use the internet, so I would reserve movies. I'd be like, "Oh shit, you're getting uh, the director's <laughs> cut of uh, Army of Darkness. Order me a copy. I will pick it up in a month. Here's money." And then I would go to the mall after work and I would buy it. Or what I would do uh, later on, like I think in like 2007, was every paycheck I got, I would drive to Tacoma, Washington and go to the Best Buy and just buy whatever new CDs and DVDs came out like every month. So I used to own like Planet Terror, you know, like I used to mm-hmm. anything that was new, there was at least a three-star movie. I was like, I need to own it. Because at the time, there wasn't really a real video store anymore in my town. And so like they just had to buy a lot of movies, you know. Luckily, we don't have to do anything, right? Like... When was the last time you bought a movie, like went and said like I need to own this movie because we work at a video store. You don't need to buy it. Um, it was actually recently I ordered a copy of Bringing Out the Dead because I was uh, gonna show that to a group of friends for this Sunday night movie club I'm in, and it was my turn to pick a movie. So I picked Bringing Out the Dead and realized that wait, like I love this movie, but I don't own it. I think it was the first Scorsese movie I ever saw. Really? Yeah. But it came out in like 1998. Ni- like 1999. 99. 99, but like I didn't see Goodfellas until I got a DVD player, and I didn't get yeah. a DVD player until 2001. <clears throat> so, and it was, it was just a very important <laughs> film for me to see at that point in my life to become like even more, like truly engaged in the filmmaking part of, of uh, film going. So did you what What was the first Shyamalan movie you bought? Was it The Sixth Sense? Did you just buy that in the year two thousand? No, the first one DVD? I bought was Signs. There you go. See, because so I, I I loved it that much. You bought Signs. Yeah. See, I was trying to pull it back to Shyamalan because we were going on a tangent about fucking movies, yeah. but it worked. See, you wouldn't even notice that it was like it was meant to be. All right, so no trailer. So let's not talk about anything on the DVD like extra features until after we talk about the movie. Uh, whose turn is it to describe the movie? Is it uh, my turn or I your be- turn? I believe it's mine. You described Did I do Unbreakable? Unbreakable. Okay, so describe for the people at home signs. And, as always, this is the a most spoiler-heavy podcast you could ever have because it's dealing with a man whose career is based around twists. And we're going to talk about this twist because you can't not, not talk about yeah, it. So spoiler alert for signs. So, and we'll probably we talk about identity again. That keeps coming up. <laughs> 
It's all in his mind. It's all in a serial killer's mind. There, we ruined it for you. Never watch Identity. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, yeah, what signs? Do it. All right. So, signs uh, begins on this uh, family farm in the farmhouse in the morning, I think, or maybe it's at night. I already don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> But uh, they can't find uh, the youngest child in the family. And it's a mostly silent sequence of uh, Mel Gibson waking up and something's amiss. He lives with his brother, Joaquin Phoenix. Rory Culkin is his son and Abigail Breslin is his daughter. Star-studded this movie is. Yeah. This is the most star-studded Shyamalan movie yet. It's a great cast. Yeah. Anyway, they find the girl out in the, f- in the cornfield. He's a corn farmer. They find that uh, the corn has been pressed down. It's been, uh, it's, but it's not broken. It's just kind of bent over in this improbable fashion. And it forms a crop circle. Or as they call them in this movie, crop signs. Which I, <laughs> Nobody ever said that. I've n- I'd never heard that. But you can't call the movie Circles. No one's going to see no. the movie called Circles. So they're freaked out. <laughs> Mel Gibson thinks it's maybe some local troublemakers. Joaquin Phoenix thinks it's nerds. Yeah, he thinks it's nerds that can't get girlfriends, so they make up secret societies so other nerds can join. <laughs> and uh, But then like crop circles start showing up all over the country and all over the world. In uh, India, in Bangalore, India, there's a crop circle there, and we hear about crop circles or crop signs on the news, (laughs) and so they're kind of freaked out. They go into town, and the town is all kind of freaked out. All the TVs are tuned to the news, and all the news is about the crop circles. They think that they hear whoever made the crop circles come back at night. So Joaquin Phoenix and Mel Gibson, they try to catch the guy by like running in opposite directions around the house. So that way like one of them will definitely catch the person. And they both run as fast as they can. And then there's just like noises, like a, like a jump, like up onto the roof. And whatever this was, it gets away. One night Mel Gibson is out in the crops, just searching around, he thinks, He's getting close to tracking down the person doing this. And we see a catch a glimpse of a like, creepy, thin, pale leg sticking out of the corn. And then it <laughs> goes back into the corn and he freaks out. But anyway, this all comes to a head. The crop circles and all that. And the family boards themselves inside because the, uh, the broadcasts are getting really really like intense it's really happening and then the tv signal goes out and that was i remember seeing that in the theaters that was the most frightening moment of the movie for me (laughs) no more television signal no more television they're like only connection to the outside world and information on what's happening is gone they board themselves up in the house but they forget uh to close up the attic the aliens get in through the attic and by now it's definitely these are aliens like, it's, it's really, alien invasion is really happening. Uh, so then they rush down into the basement. The aliens are trying to find a way into the basement. One of them gets a hand on Rory Culkin. Uh-huh, yeah. He has an asthma attack, so he has real bad asthma, and they forgot to bring his inhaler down. Yeah. And Mel Gibson, like, talks, his, talks Rory Culkin through his asthma bout. 
and his character Mel Gibson's character Graham is a former priest who quit the priesthood he left when he lost his faith after his wife died in this horrible horrible car accident where she was pinned up against a tree and basically cut in half she, de she was definitely cut in half yeah like, I believe it's like the only thing that was holding her innards in was the car pressing her against the tree and so if once they move the car her guts will spill out and she will be dead yeah yeah that's awful <laughs> that would make me quit the priesthood so yeah mel gibson and he doesn't people keep people in the town keep calling him father and he asks them not to call him <clears throat> father anymore and whenever people like suggest praying he won't have any of it on the wall in the house is just the faint outline of where a cross once was i thought that was a cool effect mm -hmm. but in this moment where he's holding his son and his son is having this attack and almost dying he finally like acknowledges god by saying i hate you <laughs> and he talks he talks him through rory culkin he he calms down but he's still real sick they make it through the night and then in the morning, the radio signal is back. And there's some shock jock DJ. He didn't sound very professional. <laughs> uh, describing, <laughs> describing what happened in the night. And we'll, we can get into more of this later when we go into specifics. But it's like real vague, like something happened in the night. And then they all left. They fled. Like, but they weren't here for our resources. They were here for us. Like, we saw them dragging off people. So they figure it's all clear. They go back up, upstairs. Then, in the reflection of the TV, once they wheel the TV out, there's one of the aliens. And we see uh, full-on the alien in harsh lighting. We can talk about that later. <laughs> but it uh, grabs Rory Culkin. This, like, thing comes out of its wrist because what they do is they, these aliens spray a poison gas on the people and then that knocks them out or it kills them and then they take them away to harvest the people. And Mel Gibson has this moment where we finally see the full flashback of the night his wife died and his last moments with his wife. The score for this scene is really intense. I really like it. The camera angles they use, like it's slightly skewed. So it's camera's kind of like looking down at Mel Gibson as he's piecing together the information and uh, his experiences and having this realization. And his wife's last words were what he thought was just like random nonsense. That since she was dying, random neurons in her brain were firing, and she thought they were at uh, Joaquin Phoenix's uh, minor league baseball game. Mm -hmm. And she says, tell Meryl, swing away. And then she dies. And then the camera comes back to Gibson, and he looks over his shoulder, and he sees Meryl, Joaquin Phoenix, standing right next to this bat that's been uh, mounted <clears throat> on the wall, because this is the bat that he used to hit a record-breaking home run that went like 500 feet and so he tells Meryl swing he tells Meryl swing away and Joaquin Phoenix gets it together he gets the bat swings it at the alien the alien uh, sprays poison on Rory Culkin but Mel Gibson catches him runs outside and Joaquin Phoenix is then he's beating the alien with the bat <laughs> there's some cool camera angles in there some cool POV shots from the aliens POV. So you alien see, falling down. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
And one of the times he knocks the alien down and a glass of water spills on the alien because Abigail Breslin has this tick where she starts drinking a glass of water and then she won't finish it because she'll think that it goes bad or that there's dust in it or it has amoebas in it. And so the whole living room, the, their whole house is filled with glasses of water. So then he starts hitting the glasses of water onto the alien. And then finally we get this POV shot of the alien falling backwards and a bunch of glasses of water pouring down on top of the alien. This really triumphant music playing. Joaquin Phoenix goes outside and Mel Gibson has uh, given Rory Culkin an epinephrine shot. Because I guess this was before EpiPens. Like you, <laughs> you had to have a syringe yeah. to do it. And, and it works. Rory Culkin comes back and Mel Gibson realizes that that's why he had asthma. That's why my son had asthma. His lungs were closed because, he had, because of the attack. So no poison got in his lungs. So he's fine. And Mel Gibson regains his faith in God because of that. And there's this little uh, passage of time. And now we see it's winter. Mel Gibson's getting ready uh, in his bedroom. He's getting dressed. And he turns to the camera and we see he's wearing his priest collar. So he's back, back in the cloth. And he walks off camera and the film ends. A lot happens in this movie. A lot. <laughs> and I left out uh, even more. I think more happens in this movie than any other Shyamalan movie thus far in, in the, what we've been watching. I think like there's a lot going on. And <clears throat> what's interesting about this movie is it's, it's, very, it's, it's, it's like moving from Unbreakable to this. So Unbreakable... Was this sort of more like the quote-unquote real version of a superhero movie? Real version? Yes, of a, like of if a comic it really book. happened. And a in more the real per, a more world. personal, emotional version of that. And this movie does that same sort of thing, but with the alien invasion movie. Like this is the personal, real version of an alien invasion movie. Like this isn't ID four where you see the whole world and big effects and like a million you know, yeah, no, yeah. like in the movie mostly is all at the farmhouse with the family either outside or inside and sort of like their point of view of this whole global event that's going on this universe wide event that's going on uh, and that's interesting and I remember that was like the, like when watching this when the theater because I saw this opening day when it came out back in 2002 Two. and which was 15 years ago so feel old about that one uh but uh yeah it's like i like the idea of like what if we did that sort of big alien vision type movie but from just a point of view of just one kind of family on this farm and what is it like where you're only with them and you don't know all the other stuff and you only know it through tv yeah, because this um, is, a, the, like, the plot is an alien invasion movie, but the, the story, it's really this family drama. Yeah, and uh, the one thing, the first thing I noticed when rewatching this movie is that the opening credits are just opening credits. And I was like, gosh, I haven't seen a movie like that in forever oh, where yeah. it is just words on a screen, and that's it. Like, it's just, not <laughs> like... It's, it's just like, who's in the movie, who made the movie, and you're sitting for, like, three minutes... Just watching words like white on black, not quite white on black. I think they like add a little white, like it's like a little misty looking like or whatever. Bluish gray. But they definitely don't do that anymore. I feel like they uh, <laughs> do not. I don't think they even did back then. Like this, seemed, it seemed weird to be like. I don't think even think other Shyamalan movies we've seen have done that, where it just, is just like you're just you're sitting in the credits waiting for the movie to start. So that was the first thing I noticed when rewatching it. And then the the interesting thing about so the, the movie is like this kind of personal point of view of the family, 
And all the information they get through what's going on is through the television. And it really reminded me very much of how people dealt with 9-11. Me too. uh, Which is like you're just watching TV constantly trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Trying to figure out like what's going to happen. Are we safe? Are we in danger? But what's crazy is this movie was written before 9-11 and when you watch the making of, it started filming the day after 9-11. Yeah, the ske- it was scheduled to start, and you, uh, in the making of, you see, like, shooting date. Like, September, September 12th. It was September 13th. 11th. It yeah. was supposed to be uh, that day, but then it happened, so yeah. they waited. Yeah, but it's very day. much, like, just as much as, more, more intentionally, the Spielberg War of the World is this post-9-11 comment. This movie, like, really feels like it is, but it kind of isn't because it was all thought of before that so it's sort of a weird prophetic thing of like it feels very much like there's this world dealing with this tragedy and this this constant possible threat and the only way we can figure it out is just to sit and watch tv for hours for hours and it has <laughs> and just be worried and just constantly be like i can't not watch the tv because yeah. i need to know if something bad's gonna happen or what am, am i supposed to do yeah it has like the parents yeah. telling the children to stop watching the tv you're not allowed to watch tv because mm-hmm. you're getting too obsessed you just need to worry about you know kid stuff day-to-day stuff yeah but then they keep watching the tv yeah and then all right we're putting the tv away but they they try to stop watching it, but then you have to keep watching it, <laughs> and then that's why for me when the TV goes out, like that was the scariest moment. Yeah, so that I think that was really interesting how it ended up being this kind of comment with nine eleven on nine eleven, but actually they were filming it while people were dealing with it. You know, yeah. like this was filmed in September and October of two thousand one. Uh, so I'd imagine like when they're doing the scenes of people like obsessively watch TV like this must have been in their head because I'm sure in real life between they, shots they must have been obsessively watching TV seeing if like Osama bin Laden was gonna attack again or what the heck is going on you know so that was because I always thought in my mind oh this movie was made after 9/11 like they made it because of it but it was was during it which is really fascinating uh, when that happens like when like because you always, often think like oh art. Uh, is inspired by things but there's like no but this is sort of like the times I think we're already going that way where everyone was watching just constant news scrolls for whatever was going on and uh, another thing I noticed when watching this movie again I feel like Unbreakable and Sixth Sense has a very strong style to it especially with the camera work we really notice Mm -hmm. like that's a long take or that's an interesting angle but this one really felt more organic, where it really was, you're not really noticing that. Like, it's still a well-shot film, but the shots were more kind of, like, embedded with what's going on in the story. And it was less, like, show-off-y than the past show. Oh, I see that. I, yeah, I totally uh, agree. There were, there were some moments where I could notice, like, you could tell that this was a good, like, oh, that, that's a good angle, that's a good camera movement. But those moments were kind of few and far between and it didn't really draw attention to themselves in the sixth yeah. sense which doesn't draw attention to itself in the filmmaking but it's just loaded with so much like artful skillful camera movement yeah. and this like there are are flourishes of it and if uh yeah and if you're sitting there watching the signs and you're like oh my god like this is shot amazingly like from the very first scene uh, that's because Tak Fujimoto is back. They <laughs> and got just, him back. And it just feels more like it's it's not show-offy. It's not as stylish. Like it has a style, 
Like, I feel like Shyamalan with this movie really learned, like, how can he make a movie really well but not have it draw attention to itself, like, the, 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 the technical stuff of it. Because when you pay attention to it, you're like, oh, this is a really technically amazing movie. There's a lot of, there is still the long shots. There's still a lot of stuff going on. But it's not as obvious as it was in The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. It's more... It work, serves the story, serves the script better, I, I feel. I mean, not that the other ones didn't, but this one just doesn't point its finger at it as much, you know? Which I really always appreciate when a movie can figure that out. When it's just like, it's still a well-made movie, but I'm not like, oh, that's a camera doing a thing, you know? Like, you're just kind of... You, you're so embedded in what's going on that you don't think about it. And the camera works go work with that. But then the other thing uh, about this movie is the acting is really interesting, I feel like this is the first, at least the first noticeable movie where there is some intentional overacting. Yes. Which which will yes. which will come harder and maybe good or bad in later Shyamalan movies, but it definitely stands out uh, once the when when Walking Phoenix goes into the army recruitment <laughs> center and there's this character who's an army recruitment guy and he starts talking about like what he thinks is going on. He and never <laughs> closes his mouth. It was his whole like when he's saying words, his lips somehow do not touch each other. Like uh, Scarlett Johansson <laughs> in every movie she's ever been. Oh, in. that's why we like uh, her. But uh, but the, the, the actor's acting is like some intense overacting. It gets really hammy in a way where he's like he's playing this and he's an odd looking actor to begin with, but then he's acting really strangely. And I remember seeing that in the theater, and the person I saw it with we kind of looked at each other, being like. This guy's acting's insane. Like this is really weird because you have, uh, like, Joaquin Phoenix and Mel Gibson and the two kids really grounding it in reality and being like really good, like kind of realistic, you know, like nuances in the way that they do things. And it feels really real. It's really grounded. But then this guy shows up and you're like, whoa! So this is this is the guy from like a '50s science fiction movie. Like this is Kevin McCarthy in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Like this dude is weird. Like this is not yeah. a person playing a real person. And uh, it, it works because that is part of their the the sequence of them going into town, and each character has their own experience in town, and they all like meet pretty weird, off kilter people. The the kids go to a bookstore and the owner's this like crazy conspiracy guy that thinks <laughs> this is all a hoax created just to sell more soda because uh, there's a million soda commercials on in between the news. <laughs> and that actor I recognize, I believe, if I'm not if I'm right, that he is in Miller's Crossing. I don't know. Like, he seemed like he looked like uh, somebody that was in a Coen Brothers movie. And then, strangely, Michael Showalter from the state is in the Army Career Recruitment Center as, like, sort of like a heavy metal type dude. I guess he's signed wearing... up to be in the Army or whatever. Yeah, he's wearing uh... a leather vest. He's kind of unshaven. <laughs> and he uh, is teasing Joaquin Phoenix because the Army recruitment guy finally recognizes him. He's like, hey, you're Merrill Graham or whatever his name is. It's like, oh, like, you were good. Like, wow, how come you never went pro? Like, didn't you have the all-time, you know, home run record or a hit record? And then you hear kind of like a, like, kind of like a squeaky voice. They're like, yeah, he also had the all-time strikeout record. <laughs> Swung at everything. I wonder if this will play later in the movie, this heavy <laughs> scene of exposition. Uh, but it's Michael Showalter, which is like, oh, it's it's Doug from the state, you know? Yeah. And, and it's... It, it's great. Well, it's great that they live in a town where like Michael Showalter is like the town the troublemaker. troublemaker. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
But but the acting is really good, and this is like kind of before. This is this is pre Walk the Line, right? So this is before like yeah. sh- Walking Phoenix really it's kind of shot up Walk the into line. that it's place. It's post Gladiator, so he already had one Oscar nomination yeah. under his belt. But I think like we didn't know how strange and interesting Walking Phoenix can be at this point. He's still yeah. sort of like you're just like a dependable good young actor. I think Walking uh, Phoenix is great in this movie. And I think great, the character. Every movie. He's I think the character movie. of Meryl is uh, maybe the second best or most interesting character Shyamalan has ever written uh the first being Haley Joel Osment's character in Sixth Sense but the, he's offbeat he's uh like comic relief most of the times but he's a very like earnest uh and kind of sentimental person and you can tell that he is uh he's there he's living with his brother to help out with uh you know taking care of his niece and nephew mm-hmm. and maybe he's starting to feel like uh you know he's not doing what he should or that he doesn't need to be there so that's why he goes to the army recruitment place but yeah Joaquin Phoenix is great Mel Gibson's really good I think this is this the last like real movie that Mel Gibson ever made uh, as an actor yes like, like he, he hasn't did... since then has not really been in anything no he did other than Machete 2 of course other than <laughs> Machete 2 and he was in um like Edge of Darkness yeah but this is like which... the last like big big Hollywood movie where he's the star that we all liked and yeah. we liked him in. Yeah. Right? Yes, yes, you like, are right. I, I think, like, because this is, like, on the tales of the masterpiece that is Lethal Weapon 4, which came out in 98, 99. Yeah. I want to say 98. And then we, we got this, and then after this, he kind of went into his, like, you know, directing kind of Jesus movie, making a billion dollars. But, man, he is so good in this movie. Like, I, you for, I think you take for granted how good Mel Gibson is because you get so wrapped up in your mind about what like the real Mel Gibson, like the tabloid stories that you've yes, heard the, for the last uh, 15 years, the anti-Semitic ranting, uh, you know, like, I hope you're raped by people, sort of crazy yeah, the, rants uh, that he says, you the know, incredibly, the insane, hateful uh, dialogue. Incredibly uh, troubled. Troubled, incredibly uh, troubled Mel Gibson. dealing with substance abuse thing. But, like, and, you know, he, he's really likable in Lethal Weapon and stuff, but in this movie, he's so good. Like, his acting is so good, especially... Definitely in the scenes where it's him talking with his, you know, dying wife where he's tearing up, which was the first day of shooting, according to the making of the yeah. news, like, day one, oh, hey, let's just do this, Mel Gibson, like, be incredible. And then I, my favorite scene of acting in this movie is the dinner table scene where they're eating, they're, like, they're kind of, they know that there's this horrible, crazy alien invasion going on, and they're like, fuck it, let's just have all our favorite food at one meal. And then everyone's too depressed to kind of eat, so Mel Gibson just kind of freaks out and starts eating everybody's food while he's crying, <laughs> and his family's telling them that they hate him. And it's a really intense moment; like it's really insane. Like it's, I, I, in my opinion, the best scene in the movie. And his acting is so good because he's crying while he's like grabbing people's like pizza or pancakes or whatever, and he's like eating it while he's like sobbing. He's crying. He's trying to be <laughs> angry, but he's so sad. That scene. It's like the most. It's incredible. Like it's uncomfortable incredible for me to watch because it's it's you just feel uh, the the tense awkward emotions it's so going good. on. That there. part is so good. Like that 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 movie that scene is insane and like you don't see scenes like that in movies where it's like and every actor in that scene is like going full throttle and it's like so emotionally charged and he's just he's great and he him kind of playing this priest who's lost his faith just kind of going through this whole scenario and him trying to figure it all out. He's just, he's so real. Like it just feels like you, and you don't, when you watch, you don't think 
oh, that's handsome, sexiest man alive, Mel Gibson. Like, you really are invested in the character that he's playing. Like, you, you think about the character. Like, you, I, don't, I don't feel you're distracted in thinking that it's Mel Gibson because he is so good. Yeah, and this is, it's really a different, and it's funny that, they, that it ended up being his last major Hollywood blockbuster role. But it was a different kind of role for Mel Gibson. He's playing just an average troubled father yeah and his troubles are are all internal and emotional and when he'd played a father in the past it was always in the context of an action movie like ransom or uh, the patriot yeah so but those movies like weren't about him like really being a dad they were about this tough guy that has to do badass things but this is just about a dad who is so like caught up in uh, you know, torn about his faith and the death of his wife and taking care of his kids. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of like internal acting where it's like a lot of the characters, like I can tell he's thinking about a lot of stuff right now. And he really pro- emotes that well. Like in the movie, he really projects that out where you really are like, you can tell the character's really thinking and he's really like having all these emotions going on. Because it's a lot of like just like his him just kind of like looking. <laughs> around and is sort of looking upset but like in a in a very real way where he really portrays a troubled emotionally broken man like so convincingly uh in this film like it's a i i think it's uh better than any of the bruce willis performances in the other two shaman movies i think mel gibson in this movie like really is a very complex very intense performance uh, I I completely agree. Like, um, yeah, Bruce Willis is fine. He's he's really good in The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. But when you think about The Sixth Sense, like as far as like the emotional acting, the powerful acting that stayed with me, it's from Haley Joel Osment and from Tony Collette. And with Unbreakable, like he's all he's really good. But Samuel Jackson has. This, it's his movie. Yeah, it's a Samuel Jackson movie. Like, it he's is so good. Yeah, like his character yeah. has the, it has this intense emotional arc, and you just you know the I I always think about the uh, the superhero element of that movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Bruce Willis, with all due respect, because he is very good in both of those, but uh, yeah, his performances are not uh, like what hooked me in. To yeah. those movies, but you're just like stuck watching Mel Gibson in this movie. You're just like, God, man, he's so good. I just forget. I think you just take for granted because you're just like Mel Gibson. Yeah, he's the guy in *Lethal Weapon*. He's Mad Max. But you're like, no, no, but he's like a good. He's, act- he's a real actor. He's, like, he's really, a good actor. He's really funny in these scenes of uh, like a lot of the comedy in this film. And there are a lot of laughs, but they come from characters being uncomfortable. Or behaving awkwardly because they don't know what to do. And Mel Gibson has a scene where he goes to visit uh, the town vet, Dr. Ray Reddy. <laughs> and he goes into, well, there's a scene before this one. We'll, we'll save that one. Yeah. But he goes into the, the vet's house where he thinks, because uh, Mel Gibson, he's still really holding on that this is all just a hoax. It's pranksters and someone or something is locked in the pantry. Oh, that scene is so good. And Mel Gibson starts talking to whoever's in the pantry, saying that I'm I'm with I'm with the police. I, I am the police. <laughs> like uh, we cut all your friends, rounding them up in a paddy wagon. And then he like winces after he says paddy wagon. 
he's so like over the top and nervous and uh, nervous that he ends up being really funny and that's another thing you forget uh, giving the uh, you know recent uh, coming to light of uh, Mel Gibson's personal behavior like oh he's a really funny guy yeah it can be really funny and like oh right yeah Lethal Weapon is a really funny movie and he's a you know he's a man who's obsessed with the Three Stooges so of course you're gonna know what humor is and I think the other actor in this movie we've talked about is Mr. M. Night Shyamalan yes and what's great is the first scene when he shows up you see it's like the family's all sitting around there's Mel Gibson and Walking Phoenix and the two sitting around and they say is that him and it's in my Shyamalan, and you're like, yeah, that's him, the director of the movie, because you don't really know what they're talking about. They're yeah. like, is that him? And they all just uh, watch him get into his car and drive away. <laughs> and you're like, God, this is the most aggressive uh, director's cameo I've ever seen. Them just being like, is that him? And it's the director. But then what it turns out is that Shyamalan is actually playing the character of the vet whose car hit uh, Mel Gibson's wife and killed her. Uh, and this is so far post Pray with Anger the biggest Shyamalan role. Like uh, yes, I like believe at the time. Just, yeah. at the time I called it his most ambitious performance. <laughs> and he's really good. And the scene where Mel Gibson kind of confronts him in the car because uh, uh, because Shyamalan called him because he locked this alien in his uh, pantry. And the scene in the car where it's just him kind of apologizing and still being clearly affected by murdering this man's wife, uh, you know, one night, is really good. Like, it's like a really... He holds his own against Mel Gibson, like, honestly. Like, he, he does, does a really good job Shyamalan for did, one little scene. <coughs> Excuse me. Shyamalan did decide to uh, do, like, an accent, like a rustic accent. Did you catch that? No, I didn't. What, like, a, like a northerner uh, accent? Yeah, or? like, he says that he's, like, I'm going to the lake. Like, I don't think they like water. <laughs> That's and, the commitment that he brings. Yeah, there's just like like four words he says. He says in this, uh, you know, kind of. I mean, it's not southern. It's just this affected like. This I'm is a, how, I'm a farmer accent outside, you know, Pennsylvania. You know, yeah. yeah. But he tells, yeah, he uh, like apologizes to Gibson and says, "I'm going to the lake. I don't think they like water." <laughs> He doesn't explain why he thinks that. And then he says, like, he says... Well, he says uh, they're only invading not next to water. Is that what he Yeah, they're only invading areas that aren't close to... Aren't next to water. Yeah. And then he says, and don't open my pantry, Father. I've got one of them in there. And then he just speeds away. (laughs) Just like... Shyamalan! Way to provide, like, the key... The key information uh, to you know the climax of this film, <coughs> yeah. while still being incredibly vague. Yeah, and so he's the murderer of the of Mel Gibson's wife, and they they apply to drunk driving thing. He's had a drinking problem. He's, he he uh, fell asleep. Fell asleep, but I thought it was like drinking was involved. Isn't it mentioned somewhere in the movie that like he had a drink or something like that? Uh, I don't. I recall. thought that was in there. But it's interesting, this is two movies in a row where there's a flashback of a car wreck with people in a car wreck. Because Unbreakable had that with Bruce Willis' character and his wife, and that's how he kind of knew he was invincible, was that he got out of this car wreck unscathed and his wife got a little hurt. And so this is another movie where someone's wife is in a car accident. Two in a row. Isn't that weird? It's interesting. 
Why is Shyamalan wanting to hurt people's wives in car accidents? <laughs> What's this all about? Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this movie is really good. I really I liked it a lot more than I thought I would watch it the second time. Oh, okay. But I will have to say that I'm still totally let down by the ending. Uh, uh, and I what? was the first time, and I still am, and I think it, the ending is like total misfire, uh, and, so, and in many different ways it's a misfire. So to me. me, there are two ways that people don't like this movie uh, having to do with the ending. Uh, what is it about the ending that didn't work for you? Well, it's just, I feel like I don't like endings that leave me with more questions than I had before, and this movie totally does with that. Uh, let's just go with the simpler thing that bothers me. So at the end of the movie, Mel Gibson has his realization and regains his faith because he finds out that all these things led to this moment. His son has asthma, so he doesn't inhale the you know poison you know burp smoke of the, of the, <laughs> of the from the hand or whatever of the alien. The daughter won't drink water and think water is weird for her whole life just so water can be around when this alien is there. Uh, his brother, you know, is a baseball player who fails, and so that way that he can like hit these you know things with a baseball bat, even though anybody can do that. anybody. You don't have to be in baseball to swing a bat to hit a thing, or you know, like you know, it's when it's right in front of you, and so it's like all these things are the the signs of his life that led to this moment. That it's like it's God telling him, "This is how you will beat this thing." But it's just with him, so like this is kind of a mess. Like this, this is why it's a problem because my my brain gets mushy trying to think about all this stuff, and maybe it's just sort of like me being overly critical about just a movie that should be fun or whatever. But so it's like okay, so that's good with him. But so why is it just with him? Like so, are we to believe that everybody else in the world is also having the same signs and thing happen, mm-hmm. or is it just him with his te- faith tested? Why is it just him? Why wouldn't God be nice enough to maybe do this six months earlier to save his wife's life? Also, like, is it or is it just or is this like Old Testament mean God being like, we're gonna kill your wife, you know, so you can learn about faith, and then but we'll save your family later. Like that seems like very you know Old Testament God uh, kind of a dick move. Uh, <laughs> and so it's just like all these things, and because when you're watching the movie. Like especially like the scene we talked about earlier in the in the army recruitment thing, you're kind of like this is a little too on the nose. It really seems like they really want us to know this guy played baseball. It really seems like we really should know she doesn't like water for some reason, and that he's leaving the glasses of water on. It really seems like this character is the character with asthma, and we should know that for some. It, it just seems a little too convenient when you're watching the movie, and then at the end you realize why it's convenient, but it's, I feel it's a little annoying. That it is convenient. It is. It's a little weird. Like I just don't quite get, like why. Like I'm fine if Shyamalan wanted to make a movie about like faith and like you know people who are tested and they regain it when they lose it. But I don't quite understand. Like so, why is this happening to Mel Gibson? Like why now? Like why not earlier? <laughs> like why not save his wife's life, which totally devastates his entire family. And he and even from here on out, maybe he's a priest again. And he's got his faith back, but he still has to live with the idea that his wife died in the most brutal of ways. And poor Shyamalan's character has got to live for the rest of his life that he did that. So, like, why wasn't God helping out then but is now? Which is often the question I have in general when thinking about stories about the Bible and stuff with God doing something terrible or not. or helping here but not helping there. 
And so it's just sort of like this mess in my head when the movie's over, when I'm just kind of like, oh, why, why did it have to, why did they not, you know, like, just, yeah. So what do you have to say about that? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I guess my response would be to, uh, the, the response I always have whenever these questions of like, <laughs> well, why does, you know, this God-related thing happen to just this person? He parts the Red Sea, but he won't stop the Holocaust. What up with that, God? It's like the uh, the answer, of course, is I don't know. <laughs> like I don't know in real life why this bad thing happened, but then this thing happened that stopped something bad from happening. So then I sure as shit don't know why it didn't happen in in a movie. In this movie. So there's there's that general uh, brain uh, puzzler. But then the other thing that when I'm thinking about that, then my mind goes to like. Well, wouldn't this whole incident make him definitely not be a priest? Because the whole universe and life as you know it is so different than what you've ever known. That there's life from another galaxy. So wouldn't that make you completely, definitely question your faith in the whole thing? Like, wouldn't that make you not... You know, because like, like, generally people who are like really scientific in science these days tend to not be religious. And the people that are into like more faith and you know the, the idea of creationism tend to not be into science so if you understand that there's this idea of aliens coming across the universe wouldn't that definitely make you be like well i don't know what i know like i guess i don't want to be a priest i have no idea what's going on in the world i have no idea I... like wouldn't that make you come like your brain completely flip on its, you know, its back i don't know i <laughs> saw oh god i don't remember what it was i was watching but it was some uh, special on like God or faith or whatever every time something like that shows up on the History Channel or PBS I watch it and there was this interview <laughs> with a priest uh, or maybe it was a podcast asking about the potential of alien life and wouldn't that like turn everything upside down and he said his answer was no <laughs> like no like you know this creation story God creating life on earth that could be our creation story and so they could have another you know their own creation story but it would still be like from god from the god and then when asked if uh he would try and convert these aliens to christianity his response was only if they wanted <laughs> so there was it was a full so in a way god priest. is like an evil chess player because if you really believe in god and mel gibson characters as then that means god created these aliens too who are taking over the world so it's just God sitting back being like, let's see how this plays yeah. out. I created these guys and these guys, and now they're finally meeting. Hmm, I wonder who's going to win this yeah. fight. Like, I'm just going to – but I'll help this priest out over here in Phil, you know, in the outside in Pennsylvania. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a little cheating move, you know, like, you know. But I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how all my creation works out in the end with these, with these guys duking uh... it out. That is a problem with this movie, and I don't have many problems with this movie. I love this movie. But, uh, yeah, that is a problem in that these, uh, and I don't think of them as plot holes, and if they are plot holes, who cares? A movie can be good and still have plot holes. Back to the Future has plot holes. What, what plot holes in Back to the Future? In Back to the Future 2, when uh, after Biff, steals the almanac goes back in time to give himself the almanac went and then he goes back to 2015 to leave the car back where he found it he would be traveling to the 2015 where the evil it was Biff, changed already yeah, yeah. 
but it's not. It's the twenty fifth, the regular twenty fifteen. I don't remember that. Is that how that works out? Yeah, and then he uh, he like uh, just gets out of the car, sneaks away, and then Doc and Marty come back with uh, Jennifer and put her in the Delor- DeLorean. Then they get in and they fly back to nineteen eighty five, and it's all changed and different. Huh. And uh, you know what? That's still an amazing <laughs> movie that uh, I love no matter what. But yeah, the movie, like when you get into the ideas of it like, faith and what it is, like it's like, it is more complicated. Yeah, these plot things, they <laughs> bring up questions. They don't just bring up questions and like, wait, if this happened, then why this? It brings up like larger, grander, philosophical and theological questions that have no answers and then it's frustrating that this movie, that a movie spawned those things. So I guess that maybe it's like, I'm not a religious man, so maybe if you're a religious person with faith, you just accept it and you're like, yeah, okay. Uh, that's but then if you're someone like me who's a total atheist who questions these things, you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. That's you funny cause, uh, because I am a religious person of faith and I just accepted it. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, this has a lot of holes. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> See, so I think it just speaks to who you are as a person. But... Forget about all that. Okay, so let's forget about the theological, faith, philosophical stuff. The shit with the water doesn't make sense. It's stupid. It doesn't make sense. Because, like, so I, I can see him. He's tr- Shyamalan is trying to do the War of the Worlds thing of, like, oh, this simple thing that we all take for granted is the, the downfall of this foreign species. There's a lot of references you know? to H.G. Wells' so, War of the Worlds. Uh, so in War of the Worlds, if you don't notice, I don't know why you wouldn't, they all die because of the cult, the common cult. Like they get the flu, bacteria. And the, and bacteria kills the aliens because they're from another planet somewhere else, and they come to Earth and they didn't know about this microscopic thing that for you us know, just gives us a runny nose, but for them it killed them. You know, which makes sense. It's like you know we killed Native know, Americans with smallpox and, and stuff. So it's like foreign diseases are greater for people who don't have the immunity the, uh, to it. The text uh, in the novel of Eight of uh, War of the Worlds is something to the effect. Of, uh, like, it was, like, the microscopic bacteria that God in his infinite wisdom placed on the earth. Like, oh, like man. God set that up. He so, set it all up. <laughs> he, he, so, he knew this would happen. Yeah, so... But the make it water makes no sense. Because, like, the cold makes sense because it's not a thing I can see. I can't walk into a room and be like, oh, there's a cold in this room. I won't walk in the room. I'm going to get the cold. I can see a person who has the cold and be like, that person looks like I won't shake their hand. But just the idea of, like, if I'm from outer space and I look at planet Earth, I can't be like, oh, they have these microscopic things that I can't see that will make me sick, in a way, specifically. But water is 75% of the Earth, right? Like, it's like most of the Earth is water. Most of the human body is water. So, like, to live means you have to have water. And so if I was this super smart race that was traveling across galaxies, like had the technology to do that, which we don't even have yet as human beings. So we're smart enough to travel over more than one galaxy. They've mastered and, and you see a planet travel. and you have the science to see, like, and no, and no, no smart person's just going to go land on a thing randomly. Like we don't, like there's a reason why we don't just like go to the sun to try to make a colony. We're like, oh, wait a minute. We did tests. <laughs> the sun is too hot. We would die. Oh wait, we don't want to go to that planet. We there is no oxygen. Like we we as dumb as the human race are, understand how to do the tests to try out to make sure that we're not gonna like 
die on the plate. We're not going to we're not going to send an astronaut to Jupiter and say like this land there. Take your clothes off, walk around, like just see what happens. But yet that's what happens with these aliens. Is like they're so smart they can travel. You know, like billion, like the speed of light. Be like they can they can do all the things we can't do. And they go on a planet and they're there for several days until they realize, oh wait a minute, the thing that's mostly this planet is our destruction. No way. There's no way that that would happen. They would do a test like how we don't land on the sun. They would be like, ooh, ouch, hot, no. And so here they'd be like, oh, wait, that, that thing that's in the atmosphere, that, that, that blue stuff that you see, that blue stuff, that's what kills us. That one thing, you know, that corrodes our skin. Like you'd send your one dumb alien there. You'd send like your, like your chimp version, the, you know, the, the Latka or whatever the first <laughs> astronaut dog's name was, to Earth and you'd watch them crumble into the water and die. And you'd be like, oh, wait a minute. We won't go there. We'll find another one because that's the place where we'll die. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. So it's... Uh, <laughs> it's completely nonsensical. Like my... Uh, uh, <clears throat> like not even real rebuttal because like... Who cares? <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> it's like... It is. It's. It's not the best. It's not the most solid idea, especially. <laughs> well, especially because it's very <clears throat> Wizard of Oz. Like, like. Oh, I'm gonna throw water on you just by accident because I'm so mad. Dorothy just reaches for a bucket of water, and then it ends up killing the witch. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, good thing that water was there. And so yeah, the fact that like it's just water. And it wouldn't take, that, would take that many days because it would have rained somewhere. <laughs> like, they weren't just only landing in the yeah. desert. Yeah, there are these, they were... Like, really, it's not going to rain in Pennsylvania, like, on one day? Like, it's just, like, I don't... It just feels like a real... Like, yeah. it, I would have accepted better if he really was like, I will also go with the flu. And I would be like, cool, like, it's like the war of the world. It's cool, go with the flu. Yeah, great. You know, well, like, the, the, the water thing is just so ridiculous. This movie doesn't take place, like, in the summer... Wouldn't some so, of the condensation on the early morning corn burn the skin of the alien and be like, well, wait a minute, and they would run away? You're right, because my, <laughs> my thought is like, well, maybe it's just, it's just liquid water, like water in liquid form, because you're right, for there to be life in any way, and then so we're bringing in all these fucking different things <laughs> to try and make sense of this thing that isn't like really like that important <laughs> to the movie, but like, well, so maybe they just haven't encountered like liquid water. But here's okay. But here's the thing. Here's the wrench that might throw this off. There is the fan theory that they're not aliens, but they are in fact demons. So like, if you can look this up, oh. is that there's the theory of the about signs is that these aliens aren't aliens because they never say they're aliens, but they're demons from hell. Have you heard this? Have you heard this fan theory? I have not. Is they're, so, they're, so they're demons from hell invading Earth, and the reason why the water burns them is because it's like some holy water thing or some sort of faith thing. Like once Mel Gibson regains his faith or whatever, or starts to once he yells at God, then the water starts hurting them because like the whole this whole like and so there's this whole fan theory. You can look it up. You can Google it. Like it's a it's an oft thought about thing by many people. That, that the signs are signs from God. The crop circles are actually mm -hmm. messages from God to talk to Mel Gibson and people to be like, this is how you deal with these demons from hell. And then that these aliens are not aliens, but demons. And there was even, I want to say, maybe I'm totally wrong on this, that there was an interview with Shyamalan recently where he was just like, 
Yeah, maybe that, that might be uh, <laughs> what it is. So it could uh, be like how uh, <laughs> in, in Night of the Living Dead, the zombies are not zombies, they're ghouls. What does that mean? Like, in Night of the Living Dead, no one ever calls the zombies zombies. Yeah. They're the, like, uh, reanimated, recently dead. Isn't that a zombie, though? And George Romero referred to them as ghouls. That's a zombie now. Before that movie, zombies were not dead bodies that got up and walked around and ate people. A zombie was a Haitian zombie. But 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 what's the difference? So, a Haitian zombie is, like, you take someone... You give them this poison that doesn't kill them, but it makes them appear dead. But they are conscious the whole time. And then you bury them, and then you unbury them, dig them up, slap them around, bring them back to life, <laughs> and tell them that they were dead. And now like you have their soul, so they have to do what you say. And so this zombie is a slave yeah. to the evil will these are of this person. And living dead, walking around. Yeah, and like so the zombie. So it was a person that walked around with a daze, lumbering around doing. But evil. is the dead coming back though in Night of the Living Dead? Yes, yes, it is like yeah. dead human beings. Okay. So George Romero created the modern version of zombies. Huh. Uh, how do we get to that? <laughs> <laughs> well, because we're talking about like how they're not aliens; they are supposedly demons. Yeah. Uh, but it's like if you look up lists of like you know fan theories that might be true or like kind of like secret, but there's oh. a common thought that the thi- the creatures in science are demons from hell, not aliens. So then, when I'm watching this, knowing that, but then what the heck are supposed to be the things that everyone thinks are spaceships floating in the air? Yeah, angels. <laughs> like it's separate. It's a different thing. But then why would those angels kill a bird that flies into it invisibly? Yeah, you know, most fan uh, theories uh, don't work. <laughs> <laughs> most fan theories are based on, I thought of this cool thing. <laughs> what about this other thing? Don't, no, no, look, I thought of something cool. Um, so I like the, uh, the lights in the sky over Mexico City. Just kind of, just these, uh, uh, just these circular lights just hovering over a city and it's like home video footage and it reminded me of old footage of ufos that you don't see anymore but like on unsolved mysteries or you know shows about aliens on the discovery channel and the history channel because they're educational shows (laughs) uh like the the grainy footage of the thing in the sky yeah the ufos like they were never I mean, the photos of flying saucers are usually just straight-up hoaxes because they look like fucking two tin uh, pie tins. <laughs> pie tins put together. Yeah, put together. Yeah. But the ones that were like, whoa, like what is that? Was of a ball of light just kind of either hovering in place or zooming around uh, unusually fast. And, people, and those are everywhere in the 90s, and they don't happen And anymore. now more than ever, people have cameras and video cameras in their pocket at any given moment, and there isn't any yeah. footage. So like, you know why? Because it's not real. <laughs> it's all made up. It is not there real. There is no such thing as aliens yet as we know it. I totally believe that. Like, uh, I really don't believe that there's been ever actual contact with any no, alien life. I, my, my firm belief is that no uh, alien life uh, does exist, but because of the laws of physics, it would be nearly impossible for them to travel uh, across the universe. Impossible for them to travel 
faster than the speed of light. But what if they were like really smart them, and advanced like ten thousand years ahead of us? I mean, it would take like hundreds of years, and they would you would deal with problems of time dilation, and then they get here and just kind of like hover around and then <laughs> leave. Like, no, that doesn't happen. That's not real. But you can think that like somewhere, you know, on fifty one Pegasus B. Or, or somewhere on Gliese 581D, like maybe, you know, there's a, uh, you know, maybe there's some kind of like weird alien monsters swimming around beneath Looking the Looking at ice. his phone. Yeah. Maybe just being like, what's on the phone today? <laughs> uh, this podcast just got real nerdy with all that uh, yeah. stuff. Uh, <laughs> so the, other, the only other thing I could think of about this movie that bothered me was you have the scene with the kids having a birthday party in Mexico. And it's the scene. This is the first scene where you really completely see the alien, albeit for just a flash. Like before this, you saw their leg or in a distance yeah. on the roof. So it's like it's it's like he's walking. Phoenix is watching the news in a closet, obsessively, uh, you know, so the kids don't see it. And um, <clears throat> it's like this kids. There's footage from a kid's birthday party where you got to see this. It's important. And it's these kids like having a birthday party, and then they're like, "Oh, I see a thing. I see a thing." And they're looking at the window of the house, and then you see for a second. The alien kind of walk by and turn, walk away, and it's very, very much, and I'm sure, in, in, intentionally so. The like the Sasquatch footage that we all know. The uh, what's it, Patterson, Gim, Gimli, Gimli, Gimlin? What are those guys' names? I the guys forgot. who supposedly shot the Bigfoot footage. It's the one where he's uh, mid stride. Where he's mid stride, he, he kind of turns for a second and keeps walking. It's very similar to that. But the part that but that didn't bother me that it was like the Bigfoot thing. I thought that was cool. But the part that always since I've seen this movie. When it came out a long time ago, is that the kids are talking in Spanish about this thing, and then all of a sudden, one of the kid says, "Behind." Why would he say that in English? Like, why would he, to his his little Mexican friends at a birthday party, say they're saying "behind" in Spanish? I'm guessing, and then all of a sudden, he says in English, "Behind," and then you see that the alien was behind a thing. I that would he wouldn't do that. That's just for us as an audience to know that he meant there's something behind a thing. I did not catch that. <laughs> I think that's what he says. That's what it sounds like. He sounds like he says, behind. There's a lot of kids screaming going on in that video. Uh, um, when Alien, when you see the Alien, that's, uh, that's it's a good scary. scare. That's a good pop-up scare. And this movie has a lot of good scares. That part is scary. The part, the part with the thing in the pantry is scary. Because I love that scene because it's like Mel Gibson trying to figure out, like, what should I do? I think it's a person, but I don't think it's a person. Like, it's him kind of, like, in his mind being like, I think it's this other thing, but I don't want to admit it's this other thing. So I'm going to still go with it in hopes that it's some nerds who made crop circles. So he pretends to be the cops and blah, blah, blah. But then he grabs a butcher knife to use it as a reflective thing. He goes under and he doesn't see anything. And, of course, you're bracing as an audience being like, oh, where is it? Where is it? There's got to be a thing in there. But then there isn't. And then he starts to leave. But then he has a thing where he runs back really fast and puts it under. And then really quickly this alien claw comes out. And he cuts the fingers off, and that part's so good. It's so scary, and it's like, and you can totally tell with watching this. I mean, we already knew this that like that Shyamalan is like a huge Spielberg, Hitchcock fan, and he he's of the uh, you know the thought, the theory, and I feel this is the better way to do it of like less is more, and he does the thing where he just slowly teases you, like in Jaws, little pieces of this thing, so you see its leg. You see it, but really far away. Then you see its claw, and then it's not until the last ten minutes that you see it, and it's the least effective part because it's this terrible CGI. Um, <laughs> but but it is nice that you have that like ninety minutes of like 
wondering like exactly what it is. Like, did you think you saw in your imagination? And like, he's really good at that in this movie of just sort of like using your imagination to not show you everything. Like, there's a the part in the basement where the lights all go out and it's just kind of dark. Yeah, um, that's a it's a great um, great moment after or, the alien like puts its hand on Rory Culkin. It is black and yeah, yeah. Walking Phoenix grabs something to like swing and, or to and knocks bar the, the light door. bulb out. Yeah. And you, and when you see it in the theater, everyone was like, <gasps> "It really is a moment. It really is a good scare moment." Uh, and then uh, same with uh, showing the alien alien reflection of the TV for a few beats. Yeah, like that he's was, like that was good. really that was good spooky. at kind of slowly kind of putting it in your head and like, it makes it scary it really does like if the movie was flat out from the first scene like there's aliens running around you know then you don't have a movie that's ter- scary on any level and he did the reflection of the TV thing in Unbreakable also yeah. right with with young with the little kid version of Samuel Jackson there's like a shot yeah. of him in the TV uh, which is really interesting I feel like that's like, like it's a familiar thing uh, to People of a certain age, I feel like there's older people that don't know that that that, that senior reflection of TV thing. But Shyamalan being a kid in the '70s and like growing up like in the TV age, like with that's a curved, very familiar TVs with curved curves where you can made of glass. Because like right now I'm looking things. at my new TV right now, my newer TV, not new to me, but just a newer TV. I don't see my reflection at all. Like a little bit, like a color. But in those old TVs, you can really see. Everything and it was sometimes it was annoying when you watched a movie and you're like, oh, I can see myself watching this movie I'm watching, and then I later on and I wonder if it was inspired by the shots in the movie because I don't remember seeing those reflection TV shots before these Shyamalan movies, but in No Country for Old Men there's like shots oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, there's a um, lot of shots uh, where it's like reflected, it reflected in, in the kind of big box kind of square TV, and it's a really jarring uh, kind of image. Uh, because it's familiar to certain people who remember those older TVs, you know, from fifties until the early aughts. And you know, flat screen TVs now are high up on the wall. And we treat it like a movie theater, and we don't have a reflection so much anymore. But uh, that was a really good shot to see the alien in the TV, and you're like, oh shit! And then you still, like, they still, and they kept going with it. There's a few shots of it in the TV until you fully see it, and you're like, oh, this is crap CGI. Like, why would you have to do that? <laughs> like, oh, no, yeah, it's terrible. Alien, like, why? And, like, the CGI, CG corrosion not, of the water, and, like, oh, man. It's not atrocious CGI. Like, you go back and you watch some movies from the late 90s, early 2000s. The CGI is, like, unbearable. The Relic. The film <laughs> The Relic. <laughs> and uh, in this, like, it's not great, and it never really was. Like, I remember seeing that in the theater, and being, like simultaneously of two minds that uh, like oh like that doesn't look good but I'm so caught up in the story that I'm gonna not care about how it about how it looks see I can't do that um, I hate bad CGI and it doesn't matter what it is like it bothers me always because I'm an old crank and <laughs> it just pulls me out of the I know movie. in the in the <laughs> making of on the DVD they talk about how Knight hates CGI so so much in this movie had to be Practical stuff, and which is funny to think about how much CGI we will run into later. Yeah, filmography of Fimnish. Uh, and uh, but the only CGI thing was was the full body alien. Then I read in the Man Who Heard Voices about the making of Lady in the Water that Shyamalan like refused to. 
do CGI on that movie, or at least he like didn't There's want totally to. There's totally CGI in that movie. Like, well, or at least he didn't want to because he regretted doing a CGI alien in Signs. I respect him from that, but then I yeah. don't respect him that later on he kind of threw that all away. Yeah. When he came into the movies that are like a lot of CGI. Um, so yeah, Signs. So uh, uh, the one thing <laughs> I want to mention before we wrap this up. Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix sitting on the couch at night watching the TV, watching the lights, uh, footage of the lights over Mexico City, and the kids are asleep. And Joaquin Phoenix like starts asking him questions about like what does he think they mean? And Mel Gibson gives this uh, speech on like how like oh you know right now like people want to be comforted. And, but there are two groups of people. There's one group of people that see those lights and think that, that there's a reason behind it and that they, uh, you know, they see those lights as a sign of, of God or whatever and they feel comforted because they know that they're going to be okay or that you know, God will be with them. And the second group of people like, just sees those lights as like, just a random thing. Uh, that everything is just luck. They see those lights and they're scared because they know that no matter what happens, they're on their own. Like, so you have to, he says walk to Walking Phoenix, you have to ask yourself, are you a person that sees signs? Are you a miracle man? Like, or do you think it's all just luck? And Walking Phoenix responds with this incredibly funny, tension-breaking story. <laughs> about how he was at a party in college and was about to make out with this girl, but he had gum in his mouth. So he turns to take the gum out of his mouth and then turns back to kiss her and she vomits all over herself. <laughs> and he says he knows that that was a miracle because <laughs> if he hadn't taken the gum out of his mouth, then he would have been kissing her when she threw up and that would have scarred him for life. <laughs> and then Mel Gibson tells him, or he asks what Mel Gibson thinks. Mel Gibson doesn't want to say... Then he tells him, like, no, like, there's nothing out there. There's no signs. You know, you're on your own. There's no miracles. And the second time watching this, what I took it as, because it is the easiest or the uh, clearest read of this movie, is just that, like, yeah, God set everything up. This was all just a big uh, plot, a big, uh, <laughs> a big caper. <laughs> That the God put all these dominoes in place, which included death and all that. But not necessarily, well, the way I took it was not necessarily believing that A happened and B happened so that C could happen and like someone made those happen. But just, are you the kind of person that sees these different things happen and you find a meaning between those? And you like assign meaning to that. You assign, you see it as more than a coincidence, not because like the voice of God is telling you otherwise, but because you are telling yourself that. And so when Mel Gibson's like realizes the signs in his life in this, uh, in that intense scene uh, where the camera is <clears throat> kind of looking at him slightly from above and he's having the flashback. Uh, it could be not so much that he's, you know, realizing that it was all predestined, but that he is now seeing that as a sign. He's seeing that as a dot connected to this other dot that's connected to what's happening now. And so that gives him faith. And that comes from 
within and not from you know the hand of god coming down to close your son's lungs but that you see that your son's lungs were closed like you connect that you give that a reason like you assign reason to that like his lungs were closed so he had asthma so the poison wouldn't get into his lungs um yeah it all sounded better in my head <laughs> but uh that's the way i i saw it um this time but then isn't it sad to think that like this kid will still have asthma for the rest of his life and this girl will still be ocd about water forever like she will need some sort of help she could Uh, get over it (laughs) um yeah i I would say all in all i really still like this i I like this movie more than the first time i think the first time i was so hard on the ending that it kind of i threw away the whole movie because of the ending and this was sort of the beginning of me at the time being kind of almost done with Shyamalan or being like, oh, this guy isn't the thing that we thought he was. But then watching it again, though, I'm like, no, this is a really good movie, and the, the ending is definitely deeply flawed. But all in all, I think it's a very effective... Like, I was really caught up in the movie watching it again. I was really into it. And um, <clears throat> no, and I'll totally watch it again. Um, so, where, so where do you rate this? So now <clears throat> we do the rating... Of the order, we've now seen six Shyamalan movies. Clearly, Stuart Little's on the bottom for both of us, right? <laughs> like, there's no way that we put that higher than anything else. Uh, yeah. For me personally, I still feel that Unbreakable is still number one, numero uno, best. Six cents, second, and I put this a third. I think this is the third of of, of the, if you go into the Shyamalan movie. I think this is number three for me. Uh, for me, uh, this is number one. What? That's crazy. But wait, more than the Sixth Sense? More than the Sixth Sense. More and than Unbreakable. Unbreakable. How? Yeah. How? Because it's a good, scary movie. And uh, yeah, there's a stuff. Yes, I am. Uh, I've I've never been shy about admitting that I do worship the old ones, uh, Cthulhu and the giant <laughs> and the giant penguins that say tickly. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so there's the faith thing, and, you know, it turns out it was God all along, which I, it, I don't think there's a twist to this movie. No, it is not. Like, it all is kind of there. I feel it's like all laid out for the if whole you want to see it's, the it's twist so, uh, as it was God the, God the whole time, he set it all up like a crazy domino pattern that only he could see and appreciate, and we don't know why would you do all this. Uh, yeah. There's that, but like aside from that, it's this good tense uh, thriller that's also this personal drama. It's and it's a story about a man regaining his faith that where the regaining the faith happens almost incidentally, mm-hmm. and it just affected me uh, emotionally so much the first time I saw it. I think I saw this maybe two or three times in the theaters. And I ranked it, I believe I actually ranked it at number two on my 10 best of the year list uh, because I was the film critic for the high school Wait, what was number paper. one in 2002? Number one in 2002 was Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. Correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> to, to this day, it is absolutely one of my all-time favorite best movies I've so, ever seen. So Punch Drunk Love, you're saying, is better than all the Shyamalan movies we've seen thus far? Um, yeah. <laughs> 
The movie is really good. Um, and it's about a man who gains mileage through pudding. Yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> I don't recall if I wrote a review of Signs for the paper. If I did, I buried it harder than Shyamalan is buried wide awake. Uh, but yeah, to me, this is the zenith of Shyamalan. He does not get better than this. Wow. His other wow. films led up to this. He made and Sixth Sense is great. Unbreakable is great. So for me, it's Signs, and then the real. Oh, is it Sixth Sense next? No way. No. Unbreakable is so good. Unbreakable is, is so it? good. Like that yeah. movie. That movie still is very unique. Like today. All right. Like so there's nothing like Unbreakable in 2017. Still. You're right. Like that's its own thing. There's nothing like this. But I mean, there was nothing like Sixth Sense. It's just hard to tell that because so many clones and copycats yeah. followed it. I guess, but I like Unbreakable works because it's not hinged on a twist. Like it is its own thing, in the same way that Signs is. Like there was no movies uh, that ripped off Signs after this that I can think of. No, and so, Signs is not hinged on a twist. Like it really is. I think people mistakenly think it is because of the all these things meant a thing. But it's like you could like if you're smart enough you, when you watch the movie, you're like clearly this water is going to come into play later. Like, and it's about how this whole man's life is built to this moment. With fighting this alien in this one part, but like I don't, it's not like Sixth Sense where you're like, oh, what? Oh, he's a ghost! Like, oh shit! Like that's crazy. And yes, the signs are there throughout the movie, but like you're really like rug pulled from under you. Uh, this one, it really is more. It really works with the mm-hmm. story really well. Like it really just feels like a movie. That all right? Is. So I go, I go. Signs and Breakable, Sixth Sense. I still love all of those movies. To me, Shyamalan made three four star movies. In a row. He was like Hitchcock in the late 50s or the early 60s. Just bam, bam, bam. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. I can't wait for what he does next. I must see that opening weekend, but I couldn't because we were on family vacation. And I was very <laughs> upset that we could not see the village opening day. At it's Universal interesting you think City this Walk. is his best movie because I feel this was the movie that maybe turned towards not liking Shabbat. It did. As much. There, was, there were people. Like, this was the one like, where like, I was into it and I, was, I saw this movie opening day yeah. and I was so excited. But then once the ending with the water happened, I remember the people I was with, we were sort of like, no, dog, no. <laughs> yeah, there are people. I'm out. Uh, there are people that don't I'll, like this movie, uh, and that's the fine. The ending doesn't work. And like, but the part up until the ending was good. Like, I remember being like, this movie's so good. And then that last five, ten minutes being like, oh, no, that's not. Because when I first saw this movie, I really thought the twist, and I thought, oh, this is a great twist. I really thought the twist was the water was contaminated with hallucinogenic drugs throughout the neighborhood. And that everybody was drinking this water and it was making them hallucinate that there's these aliens and these things and it was like there's sort of this mass hysteria hallucination. Because the movie clearly is like drawing your attention towards the lady, the girl, Abigail Breslin's water. Because you're like, why are they talking about the water? There's got to be a reason for this. There has to be a reason for this. Why would they be drawing so much attention to this? It's not just a character tick. There's like a plot element here. So like when the movie started really getting into a post that I was like, oh shit. The water's full of drugs. It's like LSD. And everybody's seen aliens, but it's there's just mass hysteria. They're all going crazy. And they're feeding off each other's paranoia and seeing the thing that's not real. And That'd I thought, be a good twist. And I thought, gosh, that's a great that's a great twist. Like what a great movie. Spoiler alert, don't if you want to see any other movie ever get it, don't get spoiled, turn us off. But the Richard Lynch movie, okay, I'm I'm going slow so I don't okay. spoil it for people who don't want to. There's a movie called Bad Dreams 
Do you want to see, still see that movie not be ruined? Turn this off now. In Bad Dreams, that's what the twist is. Whoa. The twist is okay. that everybody's hallucinating uh, this, like, kind of like this vision of this, like, bad guy. But it ends up that the drugs they're taking in this hospital is making them have this, like, kind of shared huh. hallucination. So had I thought, you seen Bad Dreams before? No, I hadn't. So when I saw that later on, I was like, oh, that's what I thought Signs was. Whoa. And so. The fact that science wasn't that because like, oh, that's such a good twist that everyone's just going crazy and only this little girl knew there was something wrong with the water. But instead it was just like, no, there is aliens and they just, they don't, their water yeah. kills them. And <laughs> so it was sort of like, at the time I was like, oh man, that's dumb. And the people I was with were like, oh, that's stupid. And so we were kind of all, for the first time, because we hadn't luckily seen the original the Shyamalan Priest Six Sense movies being like, we were let down by Shyamalan for the first time ever. Yeah. Uh, um. <laughs> but we still all rushed out to see the village. We or we still were like, okay, we got to give me this. So, yeah, there are people that don't like this movie, and the ending doesn't work, the aliens don't work, and that's fine. But there are people that had like a vile, fucking vile reaction to this to the ending of this movie, either because they thought the alien looked stupid or that the water part was stupid. Okay. You know, it didn't work for you. But then there's people that, like, had a real, real problem that, uh, like, Faith played a big part yeah. in the ending of this movie. Like, they thought they were tricked that they watched, like, Yeah, they thought they was tricked. Or something like that. They felt uh, tricked that they like, watched a Christian. Like, oh, I saw a, a religious movie. That they actually saw, a, yeah, that they accidentally saw a Christian movie, a religious movie. And it's like when you accidentally listen to Christian rock on the radio, <laughs> which happens because it just sounds like generic alt-rock, and then you listen to the lyrics, and it's like, his and his everlasting love. And you're like, what? And, and you're then, like, I like this band DC Talk. They're really good. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> this rap band's singing about Jesus. And then uh, you like change the yeah. station, and you're so mad. So that happened to people, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't get that but i'm a religious person and i'm not even that religious i have not been to church but in like people, you don't years. hear people throw that fit about like watching a martin scorsese movie and his movies are full of catholic religious imagery or about faith and things like that you know like and you don't hear people throw a fit about that like i think it's just it just depends on the person i don't know i just think like i didn't feel that when I was more pissed off about the water thing than I was. <laughs> this is about a person of faith because like every movie can be about the characters, whatever. Like I don't care. You know, like I don't believe that the force is a real thing, but I'll watch a Star Wars movie. And that's I. Uh, uh, I've so... never once asked like when the start the new Star Wars comes out, and all the reporters are asking George Lucas, George Luke, George Lopez, <laughs> George <laughs> Lopez. What is this oh, don't story? you want to see him direct the <laughs> episode nine, George Lopez? <laughs> <laughs> They're asking him stupid questions like, what is the force? It's like, the force is that thing. It's just that invisible thing that connects uh, everything in the universe. It's like, you know, the th like that other thing that connects everything in the universe that I learned about when I was four at Catholic school. Yeah. That's it. I just accept the force. Yeah, I remember a lot of people uh, being mad about thinking that they were tricked into watching a Christian yeah, and it's, uh, movie with the signs. It's Shyamalan's um, most, like, it's, well, no, it's not even his most uh, uh, forthrightly uh, faith-based movie. Wide Awake is way more about religion than, than signs. Yeah, God is even, and, or an angel, whatever's yeah, even in the movie. Yeah, God know? is in that movie. Praying with Anger is also a highly, highly spiritual movie, but people didn't know that those movies existed. 
and there <clears> are if you watch them in order like we have been then you will see these elements it makes sense like, it makes faith, sense that he would go there it's part of, of faith and spirituality yeah. in the sixth sense you can see that and you can see it in unbreakable as well and then in signs it's definitely there even if you're not looking for it it's just like right out there yeah for you yeah very interesting oh. uh, so. uh, abigail breslin was amazing she was deadpan she was a deadpan, like six-year-old six girl. Year old actor, yeah, it was great. Actress, I just, I had yeah. to get that in there before we wrap up. And so, which Culkin is this? Culkin. This is Rory. This so is who's Rory Culkin? What he does he do? I, what else he do? Uh, I get well, it, all those Culkins I get mixed up. I can't keep. So there's Macaulay, guys. and then there's Kieran. He was in the Cider House Rules. So who's Rory? Who did he do? Rory. He did this. Who's the one that's Scott Pilgrim? That is Rory. That's Rory. Yeah. Rory is the only one I think that's Who's in still Secret out there. Life of no, Alter Boys? Is that Rory? Is, no, that's Kieran Culkin is in Secret Life of Alter uh, okay. Boys or The Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys, which I did not like. <laughs> that is a oh, that that's a bad movie about faith. Okay, if you want to watch if you want to watch a movie about God and be disappointed on the God angle and the plot <laughs> angle and the characters <laughs> and the acting, watch that. Kieran Culkin's in that. Kieran Culkin is that him and Scott Pilgrim? I don't know. No, I think know. that's Rory. Maybe that's Rory. Wait, who's the one to scream for? That's Rory. Because that is Rory. So the one yeah. in this movie is the one to scream for. Okay, yes. So I don't think that's the one that's in Scott Pilgrim. Maybe that is Kieran. Yeah. Or maybe that's Gummo Culkin. I, I don't know. I can't keep track of these guys. There's like a million of them. They're like the Wayans. There's like a thousand Culkins. And um, in movies with like one of the Culkins, if they ever needed family photos... Of like, oh, like here's a baby Macaulay Culkin. It would usually be just a photo of Rory Culkin. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, like in The He's Good the Son, uh, there's Rory a photo Culkin? of like the baby that Macaulay Culkin drowned, and it's a photo. A spoiler alert: The Good Son is an awesomely bad movie. <laughs> that movie's good. Um, yeah, the photo of the the baby, his baby brother that he drowned, is a photo of Rory Culkin. Oh man. So we've done science, it's done. So what's interesting, our next episode won't be an official narrative Shyamalan directed. It'll be a tangent, like our second tangent. tangent. Just like Stuart Little was a tangent. This one is a made-for-TV hour, I think it's an hour long. I hope it's an hour long. (laughs) Maybe it's 45 minutes with commercials. Movie called, what's it called? The Secret. The Buried Secret secret of M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, so we like so, so, like science came out in like America was like in full form, ready like Shyamalan hysteria of like he's the king of the twist. This is yeah, the guy. Even, oh even my people God, didn't oh my like God. even yeah. people that didn't like uh, this movie. This movie well, made over two hundred million dollars. Yeah, like, like it's not a comic book movie. Still in it. There's not many special effects in it. It was the number three. Oh, I forgot to bring that list with me. <laughs> it was a number three summer blockbuster of that year. Of I think Spider-Man and like Shrek 2 were ahead of it. It was the sixth highest grossing movie of the whole year. Huh. It was uh, it was a big, big hit. So we're in this we're in the middle of this sh- still Shyamalan excitement, and then we're gonna get this TV movie about some secret that he has. What is the secret? We will talk all about it next month uh yes yes (laughs) i don't know how we'll see it we don't have a copy of it at this video store so either we'll have to buy it or you know we'll just have to like figure out what the secret is on our own go on a journey i saw five seconds of it when uh when it was on tv 
uh, and I don't remember it very well. <laughs> um, yeah, is there any uh, anything else you want to get? I think in that's it. I think we're ready signs? to say goodbye. So, uh, ne- yeah, next month we'll be watching the buried secret of Amma Shyamalan. Yes. Thank you again for tuning in, those so we uh, <laughs> people out there. I gotta get in the plugs. We are on Twitter at the M Night Shift. Uh, we're on iTunes. Please subscribe and uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Also on Stitcher if you prefer to listen to podcasts there. <clears throat> uh, if you're in Austin, come by Vulcan Video with two awesomely convenient locations on the north and south parts of town. So if you don't want to cross the river, if you're afraid of it, <laughs> as many Austinites are, uh, you, you there will still be a Vulcan Video close by you. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks for listening. And if you are listening and like this, like please pass this along to your friends. We'd love to have more people uh, listen to us talk about M Night Shyamalan. And we'll be doing it for a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. we got a lot more. Like we're not even halfway through. Like we're we're we got so much left to go. This is great. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, yes. yes. Thank you, and see you next month for the buried secret <laughs> of M Night Shyamalan. I can't wait to tell what the secret is. What is the secret? I just gave you the old Shyamalan twist.